Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Genesis chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Feel free to follow along in your own Bible or your app. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. This next bit gives us a little insight into what that means. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man, maybe a better translation would be baby boy, with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Now these are both important contributions to society, right? There was Abel, keeper of sheep, Cain, a worker of the ground. We need both, both valuable. In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So they both brought their gifts to the Lord, which was a good thing, right? Seems like they were both doing the right thing. Now, this is early days of man's understanding about how to relate to God and, uh, and, and you know, what pleases the Lord. And so they get a little bit of feedback from God, apparently, after this offering is given. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That could be a little bit painful, right? For Cain, are you feeling a little bit bit of pain for Cain here? All right, could be a little confronting to hear from God. I'm not too happy with your offering. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. Now, it's not a good day when you're angry with the Lord. Okay, so he's, he hasn't really responded in the, in the best way. So he's visibly upset. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. In other words, sin is not your friend. Okay. Check what's going on in your heart or it's going to lead you in a bad direction. All right. So goes on. He says, you must rule over it. Now, the next verse shows that Cain did not really take on board what the Lord was saying. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? A, that's, a, that's a fairly arrogant response to an all-knowing God, is it not? Okay, not the best. And the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then God then goes on and explains the consequences uh, for Cain of his sin. Now, whenever we read a passage of scripture, it's always helpful to ask some questions of the text. Does anybody else do this? So as I was reading this passage, the the question that really stood out to me was, why was it that God was happy with Abel's offering, but he was not pleased and not happy 
with Cain's offering, it seems a little bit arbitrary. We don't really get a whole lot of insight into what the reasoning for that was. But as I began to think through that question, another question struck me, which was probably the more important question, which is, what is it that God was wanting and trying to reveal, and what does he want to reveal to us about himself? And once we know something new about God, what does that tell us about the best way for us to relate to him? Isn't that really what life is all about? What is God like? How do I relate to him in a better way? And then, of course, there's another question that's really helpful anytime we are reading a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It is, what, what, what can we see here? What is revealed to us in this passage about Jesus and about the gospel? Where is Jesus revealed here? So we're going to work on answering some of those questions today. Uh, title of this message, if you want to title, is The Offering That God Desires. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've been with us. We thank you for your presence as we've been worshiping you. God, I thank you that we can encounter you just as powerfully through your word. And I ask God that uh, you would come and reveal yourself. Lord, uh, what do you want to say? We want to hear it. And Lord, we want, to, we want to know the answer to this question. What does it look like for us to offer you from our lives what is valuable? What's the offering, God, that you desire for, for our lives? Lord, as we look ahead to 2024, Lord, as we're dreaming, as we are trying to remove limitations from our thinking, as we're, we're thinking through these areas of our lives where we need to form new and better habits, Lord, what, what is... What is the offering from us that you're really after? Lord, would you help us to see in Jesus' name? Amen. It's not, it's, um, it's not uncommon. We could say it this way. It's quite common that when we begin to pursue a relationship with God, we tend to initially come to him in a very transactional way. Like, I'll do this for you. And uh, I need you in return to do this for me. And I can see this in my own journey towards Christ uh, in the months leading up to before I came to Christ. As I've shared many times before, I came to Christ in the mid-90s and I, uh, in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Now in the States, particularly where I was from, it was, it was cool to be a hippie again. And so we were trying to just get back to the 1960s. Right? Isn't that weird? It's like this nostalgic thing. Everybody, now it's the 90s that are cool. Well, I was in the 90s, and then it, wasn't, it was the 60s that were cool. And so with that came all of the, the, the music and the drug culture. And so I was immersed in all of that. And as, uh, as a bit of a druggie, I was, I was kind of like a drug evangelist. Like I wanted other people to experience the things that I experienced. And so I was hanging out with this girl one night who had never uh, tripped on acid, all right? Now, kids, um, well, you don't need to come here. Just learn from this story. This is not how to live, all right? All right? Um, but uh, she had never experienced this before. And this is a hallucinogenic drug where you really open yourselves up, yourself up to a spirit realm, you begin to see hallucinations and, and it's almost like you go to a different place and it's not a very holy spiritual experience. Uh, and in this one particular time, I was like, okay, I want to kind of break her in easy, so we'll just do a half of 
uh, of what you would normally take. And so we're about 45 minutes into it, an hour, and we should have been feeling the effects of this. And I'm like, are you feeling anything? She's like, I'm not sure. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm feeling anything. I'm like, well, let's take some more. So apparently I wasn't really thinking straight. So we did a whole nother hit on top of that. And then a little bit later, uh, I started to go to a very dark place. And it was like this, this dark presence came and filled the room. And I can't explain it to you except I just felt complete and total terror. It's probably what people call a bad trip. And the worst part was, is my friend, it was just the two of us, she was curled up in the fetal position and I could not really work out, is she dead or is she alive? Like, did I kill her? And, and I'm over, it's like these waves of just the most horrific, dark, chaotic feelings you could imagine. And you start thinking like, is this what life's gonna be like now? And, and, and am I ever gonna escape this? And you're really not thinking right. And, and so I'm in this moment of complete and total desperation. And I begin to remember the God of my youth. And I cry out to God in this moment. Because I'm thinking, okay, do I call the police? Do I call the ambulance? If I do that, I'm gonna, like, is she dead? What, what do I do? I'm going to have to tell him what we've been doing. I said, God, if you get me out of this, I will never do this drug again. <laughs> that was my bargain. God, if you rescue me, if you get me out of this, I will never do this drug again. Now, this is, we were about an hour and a half or two hours into this, what is typically an eight to ten hour experience, right? Like this doesn't end quickly. And... And that was part of why I was feeling, I was like, this is a long ride that I've just gotten on. And uh, I pray this prayer, and I had, now granted, I was hallucinating, <laughs> you know, drug-induced hallucination, but I had never seen anything like this. I begin, I, I close my eyes, and I see these, this rainbow pattern of interwoven doves. Very biblical imagery. And I open my eyes, and I sit up, in, in my room, and I'm completely sober. Like just nothing, like no effects of any drugs whatsoever. And literally in that exact moment, she sits up and was like, whoa, what the heck just happened? And I'm like, you don't understand what just happened. Like, this wasn't supposed to end. We were on a, a 10 hour ride and it just ended early. And I was trying to explain about how, how I had prayed to God, and, and she was like, whatever, I don't care, I'm just glad that was over, I'm never doing that again, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that wasn't the best experience. So, it was interesting to me, because I look back on that, and I see how God was willing to respond to my attempt at a transactional relationship. I wasn't coming to God and saying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. God, if you, you know, it, it, it wasn't even, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I just want you in my life. I didn't want him. I just wanted him to deliver me from the pain that I was experiencing. It's interesting. It wasn't uh, too much longer after that, a couple of months later, I, I, I kept my promise for like four or five months. And then we went to this concert and, uh, of course, you have to, you know, when, when, you're, when you're worshiping at the concert, you have to 
enter in fully, right? So, but I never promised God that I wouldn't do mushrooms. So, so I, I was trying to find the guy who had mushrooms, but he didn't show up. But there was a guy there with acid. And I'm sitting there, I'm like having this internal turmoil in my soul of what do I do? I've got to go to the concert. I've got to do this and this. And, but yet I made this commitment to God. And the guy never showed up. And so I took the acid. And I still remember, I'm walking out of this guy's house. Before we go to the concert, I'm walking down the pathway. I can picture it. You know you have these moments and encounters with God and you can picture everything that you've experienced. So I'm, I'm walking down the end. I come to the end of the pathway. I'm at the street at the sidewalk and I look up at the sky. And I heard God speak to me. He said, you promised me you were never going to do that drug again. And that was pretty much all he said. But I felt like this revelation that I am a promise breaker. Like even my attempt, my transactional attempt to connect with God without his help, I was completely incapable of keeping my promise. God was kind enough to use that whole experience, even though I didn't want him. He was kind enough to use that to very profoundly reveal his power for me to deliver me in that moment from that demonic uh, drug. Uh, he began doing other things in the coming months. I won't go into the story, but revealing himself to me. And within, I would say, probably four or five months, I was born again. Radically changed. Saved. But I don't know about you. Most of us have probably tried at some time in our life to bargain with God. But our attempt in our transaction that we try to make with God in our bargaining is not an example of an offering that he's willing to accept. I did not make with God an acceptable offering. He didn't come and answer that prayer because, ooh, you're never going to, oh, wow, Jason's never, he's promised he's never going to do the drug again. That had nothing to do with why he answered that prayer. He answered that prayer because he was kind and loving and merciful and he wanted to reveal his power to me and he knew that he could turn it when I failed to, re to reveal the sinfulness and brokenness and self-righteousness of my own heart but maybe we've you found yourself in your life or try to do something similar where okay I am going to do something that is going to put God in my debt that's not an acceptable offering to the Lord I remember back in 9-11, you know, when, when the, the Twin Towers and that whole thing that happened and I was a relatively new Christian. Liz and I had, I mean, I'd been saved maybe six years or something and we had just gotten married and it was crazy because all the churches were filled. People felt desperate. People felt like they need God, needed God. But that desperation didn't last very long. You know, just feeling some pain in our lives is... Not enough. We'll often cry out to God for help in our moment of pain, but there's something more that we have to see of God before we're provoked to give Him everything. So it wasn't long before all the churches were back to normal again. You know, everybody had kind of forgotten and moved on. But before we can understand the offering that pleases God, we need to first understand what it is that God is wanting to reveal about Himself to us. And what we see in this passage, the first thing we see... And what God is wanting to reveal is this. 
This is the first major truth from this passage. God is sovereign, and so He has the right to choose what kind of offering it is that pleases Him. God is sovereign. He has the right to choose how we serve Him. He's the one who gets to dictate the terms of the relationship. He is the one who even initiates the relationship. We know this because the question is not overtly answered in the passage. God doesn't bother answering the question overtly of why Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's offering was received. It's not immediately clear. There's nothing overt, no clear ex- uh, explanation. There's some clues, but God is making no apology for the fact that He's unwilling to receive Cain's offering. Why is He not making a, 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 an apology? Why is He not walking on eggshells around Cain? It's because He's sovereign. He knows He has the right to dictate the terms of the relationship. And He expects Cain and Abel and all of His people to recognize His sovereignty and respond accordingly. It would only be right that the created responds to the Creator in a certain way. right? It would only be right that the ones who are in need of being sustained respond to the sustainer in a particular way. At the very root of Cain's bad response to God's rejection of his gift was his wrong understanding of what God was like. This is what Cain got wrong. He did not understand what God is like. He failed to acknowledge God's sovereignty. And so this tells us that foundational to our relationship with God is not only having a right understanding of what is like, but understanding his sovereignty. So what does it mean to say that God is sovereign? What do you think that means? What does it mean to say that God is sovereign? Well, I'll quickly give you three things it means specifically. Number one, it means that God has ultimate authority over his creation. He's in charge. He answers to no one. And everybody else is accountable to him. Ultimate authority. Second, God possesses ultimate power. Power to direct events. Power even to direct human decisions towards the fulfillment of his purpose. All things are working together towards that. God has ultimate authority, ultimate power, and God is independent. He needs no one. He does whatever he wants. He doesn't need or shouldn't be expected to bend his will towards anyone else's. And so if this is true, if these three things about God are true, then it should frame the way that we relate to him, right? So if God has all authority, it means that we do not have ultimate authority, and so we must submit to God's authority. If we don't have ultimate power, then we must humbly acknowledge that we need God. And if God is independent, we have to recognize that we are dependent upon God, and so we should ask him for help and seek that help on his terms. And so failing to see God's sovereignty was Cain's ultimate problem. This is why Cain got triggered at God's response to his gift. Because there was something within him that he didn't see. He got triggered. He got upset. His face fell. He got angry at God. 
Now, how should have God, how should have Cain responded? If he understood what God was like in his sovereignty, how should have Cain responded? If his heart was humble, he would have said something like this. Lord, you're sovereign. And therefore, you have the right to determine the offering that I should bring. So can you just please tell me, help me understand what was it about my offering that wasn't pleasing? Why was Abel's offering pleasing and mine wasn't? And show me and tell me so that I can bring an offering that is pleasing to you. But Cain didn't do this. What did he do? He, he responds in a way that makes clear that he's accusing God in his heart. He's bringing an accusation against God. He didn't like the fact that God was trying to set the terms of the relationship. He felt that he himself was sovereign and I can dictate the way that I relate to God. Have you ever had an experience in your own life where maybe you didn't get a prayer answered fast enough or you felt a little bit bitter towards him? Or you, there was clearly some hard attitude in your heart. You're angry with God. You're, you're trying to wrestle. You know, maybe you just shut yourself off for him, from Him and, and you're unwilling to talk to Him or, or, or interact with Him because of this circumstance that happened in your life. Like, God, how could you let this happen to me? This is really the, the same thing that was going on in Cain's heart. He lacked a revelation of God that framed the way that he would approach him humbly. His misunderstanding of who God was and what he was like provoked an arrogant response. The next thing that we can see in this passage is that our heart attitude towards God will always manifest in our relationships with other people. And so we see this in Cain's response. How, how did Cain's anger manifest? He comes out violently in his jealous hatred of his brother. He was jealous that his brother's offering had been accepted. He was jealous that it seemed like my brother is closer to God than I am. And so rather than even humbly asking his brother for, hey, bro, what was it about your offering that was pleasing to God? He, in his selfish ambition and his jealousy, he just completely wiped out his brother. He wanted to just remove his brother from the scene. And so this is why our revelation of God's sovereignty, who he is, is so important because if we don't seek him on his, on his terms, our own self-righteousness will hinder and impact our relationships with other, other people. One of the greatest things about sending our kids to public school was them, and we weren't celebrating this by any means, but it was just kind of a benefit. Um, and maybe this happens for all of us in the world to some degree, but... Uh, and particularly just with Soph, beginning to see the contrast between the dysfunction and the chaos in the lives of her friends and the family of her unsaved friends in comparison to what she had experienced in her own life. You know, like I remember hearing a story about sitting around, they're all, they're, they're all sitting around at school together in the friendship group and telling stories about, you know, their, their parents fighting. And then they turned to Soph like, you know, they're talking about throwing dishes at one another and 
like, you know, yelling and screaming profanities at one another. And they're like, well, Sophie, how, tell us about your parents. She's like, well, I've never actually seen my parents fight before, you know. And it was this, mind you, we just go close the door and <laughs> keep it quiet on the other side of the bedroom door, you know. So, you know, just, you know, keep that in mind. But we had... Uh, we had all of their friends over to all of Sophie's friends over for dinner one night and we're all sitting around the table and just interacting and it was just a normal dinner for us, you know, like and there's like four of the four of your friends that were there, three or four of your friends I think that were there. And so we're all sitting around the table and um, just being a family, hanging out and, and they're entering into the conversation. And then they go away and they have this conversation at school again the next week, and they're all talking like, man, did you see how Sophia's dad was looking at her mom? Like, just the way that he was looking into her eyes and the conversation that they were having, and it was, I can't, I, seriously, it was just a normal conversation, all right? There was nothing special about this. There was no romance. It was just a normal night, but the, the, what, the contrast to the dysfunction that they were experiencing in their home, and one of the people commented and just said, yeah, it just made me feel really sad that I don't have that in my own life. And then an, another girl that some of friends with said, yeah, I used to feel really sad, but now it just makes me feel safe. This time, man, what a, what a beautiful picture of how desperate and how hurting the world is in their dysfunctional relationships and the chaos that's created in people's homes where you've got alcoholic parents and you've got schizophrenic mother and then we've the other friend who, you know, he takes her away on a camping trip to trip on mushrooms with her and growing weed for her in the backyard. Just the chaos and the dysfunction in these people's homes. But what is it that's producing the dysfunction? It's the lack of revelation of who God is. It's the lack of God in their life. And Cain, the breakdown in Cain's relationship with God manifested in dis dysfunction with other people. The world is crying out for this kind of peace that comes from relationship with God. But that peace is only found. And I tell you, listen, the same thing rears its ugly head in church. You know, anytime you see angerness or bitterness or jealousy in a covenant family, in a church family, we have to recognize that what, what it is, not only when we see it in others, but when we see it in our own hearts, recognizing that, wait a minute, something must be wrong in their relationship with God. Something must be wrong in the way that I'm thinking about what God is like. Because this is manifesting in dysfunction with other people. The final thing we see in this passage is that God desires a close love relationship with all of us. One of the things that's hidden in this passage, and this is where we see the gospel beginning to take shape in Genesis 4. What does God say to Cain? He says, if you do well... Will you not be accepted? The invitation was there. God wanted a love relationship with Cain. He wanted to 
accept him. He wanted him to be accepted. God was not rejecting Cain with the rejecting, rejection of his offering. God was trying to communicate to Cain, there is only one way that you can approach me. And the way that you're approaching me is not the way that's going to gain favor. Favor. So we can see that uh, the younger, there's little clues here, what's going on. But we can see the younger brother Abel, it says that he brought from the firstborn of his flock. He's bringing his best. He's bringing that which is sacrificial. Rather than enjoying the first fruits of, he's bringing the firstborn. And then it says about Cain that he's just bringing an offering from. It's almost like you get the picture that Cain is picking and choosing. He's withholding. You know, he, he's not really bringing something that's sacrificial. He's holding back a little bit from God. He, he's, he, he's thinking, okay, I need something from God. I'm going to bring this and I'm going to put, I'm going to give this to God and put God in my debt. It's exactly what I was doing in the story that I told you before. But what's revealed to us in the New Testament, if we go all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, we can see a reference from the writer of Hebrews to Cain and Abel. He says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Why was his offering more acceptable? He brought it by faith. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Why was Abel's offering received and Cain's was rejected? Because Abel gave his offering as an act of faith, already knowing that he was loved and accepted by God. On the basis of the removal of what was separating him from God. Now, how did that happen? We can see in this passage that there is something unique about the offering that Abel brought. The offering that Abel brought required the spilling of blood. And we know from Hebrews... That there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. That was something that was not going to be revealed until much later. But I wonder if Abel actually had a revelation from his parents of how God covered their sin. You remember how God covered Adam and Eve's sin? So what did they try to do when they sinned against God? They ran, they, they hid, and they tried to cover their own sin by doing what? Sewing some fig leaves together. Okay, so they're using plant material. Isn't isn't gonna last? I mean, if you make some, if you find some leaves off a tree, you make a dress out of the leaves, ladies. It might be it might be alright for a couple days, right? But once the leaves dry up and shrivel, and you're not you're not gonna be much left of that dress. It's a great picture of man's attempt. To try to cover our own sin and our self-righteousness. But what does God do? He makes animal skins for clothing to cover their skin. And what you get is this picture of 
the first blood that was ever spilled to cover man's sin. An animal had to die, blood had to be shed to cover the sin of humanity. All of this is pointing forward to what? It's pointing forward to Jesus who would come and die on the cross for our sins. And we see it even just a few verses later in Hebrews 9 after that passage where it says there is no forgiveness or or, or remission of sin without the, the shedding of blood. It says this, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The sacrifice that God desires from us is the sacrifice that Abel brought. And, you know, last week we talked about the importance of having our good habits at the start of the year. But we can have all the best habits in the world, but if we are continually approaching God in our attempt at transactional relationship, I'll do this for you, you do this for me, or if we're not really sure that we're right with Him, and what we're really doing is we're trying to achieve these goals and form these habits because we're trying to, in our own strength, find significance or we're trying to find security. We do this all the time, right? I know one of the greatest challenges in my own life has been, you know, not to want to, you know, like for me, it's like money. You know, like if, if I'm going to think, okay, what's the one thing that will take away all my problems, you know, it's like, just drop, drop a bunch of cash on me, right? Like, that's how my flesh responds. And you know how it is. You're like, you drive by and I see this stupid $30 million lottery sign on the side of the road. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get me to imagine. I'm like, stop it. That is, that is not my savior. That is not going to help me. In fact, I've got access. I've got an endless access to resource for my God who owns it all. You know, like the flesh tries to find security and significance in all of these other things. And if we approach our year from this place of I'm striving, I'm trying to perform, I'm trying to produce. Then we're going to end up at the end of 2024 and we're going to have given God an offering that he's really not pleased with. God wants our growth. He wants our excellence. He wants wants us to... He wants to see increase. He wants us to increase. But it's not from this place of striving, but from rest. And so I'd love to finish today just with the worship team coming back up. And just have a bit of a moment with God in worship. What's the motive of our heart? Are we approaching God transactionally? Are we desiring God or are we desiring what God can do for us, what we can get from Him? Can we begin this year with a commitment to 
reorient our lives around who God is and who He reveals about Himself, His sovereignty, but also the fact that He's come to us as our Father, He's made us His children, and we don't have to strive. We don't have to perform. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.